Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this time. May your glory fill this place. May the, the perspective, your opinion, your viewpoint of our lives be that that we can see for ourselves, Lord. That you created us in your own likeness. You, you created us to fellowship with you. You created us most importantly to be led by you and by your word, that we're sensitive with ears to hear and eyes to perceive exactly what you have in store for us. Through your mic name, Father God, I pray, amen. amen. Well, I'll dig right in if you have your Bibles. Uh, you can open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 12. But before we get there, it always amazes me that most of what we're reading today about the faith of God about what God is doing in our lives is written by men that were most tempted in the darkest time of their lives. That always gets my heart pounding that a man like Paul could could say, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory when he is behind bars. It amazes me that a, a man like Stephen is being stoned and he's quoting Abraham. He's going all the way back saying, all of this stuff has brought me to this place of confinement that I would rather be with Christ if my mission ends today. I'll give you another example upon example. John is at the island of Patmos and some theologians say he was in boiling oil in a room so much smaller than your pantry. And instead of meditating on the painful situation that he was in, he was getting a revelation of Jesus Christ. What you're reading as the book of Revelation was what he was encountering. When I read about stuff like that, I'm moved and amazed. Oh God, how come when I go through stuff, I'm so focused on what you could do for me so I can make it through my situation. And yet I could keep praying that prayer every single day because today it's a headache, tomorrow it's cancer, the next day it's finances. In other words, I could live a life that's not content by how great you are, or I could live a life and make a decision now that no matter what comes on in my life, I'm fully provided for. The pain, sickness, lack cannot change the perspective I have of Jesus Christ. And I'm mainly talking about being led by God. Because sometimes when you're led by God, you, will be, you start to do things that other people will never understand. Here's a good example. Mother Teresa ends up on the streets of Calcutta, India, walking with the homeless, feeding the abused. And she's like, this is where God calls me to be. And she finds joy in it. I was talking with Pastor Tom, one of the men's morning service, and then he says there's a, I won't say names because I don't remember them, but there's a pastor who goes to California to start a church and ends up having a dream center that is so huge right now all around America. Is there a difference between a, a, a man of God who owns a dream center and the lady who's out on the streets in Calcutta, India. Because I think that's where the true ministry of Christ in us comes. If God is calling me to go to a place where there's death, I think God needs me to speak life. If God is calling me to a place where there is, there is lack, I need to speak life. Because remember in Genesis 1, One, it says God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was covered with what? Darkness, and the Spirit of God was hovering over. In other words, where God needs us the best, where we can function at our uttermost purpose for existence, is where it's dark. And that's why the Spirit of God dwells on the inside of us. And Jeremiah 19 says that our hearts are the darkest thing, they are full of darkness. And what do we need? 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of who is from God, that we might know the things that we have been freely, that have been freely given to us by God. I, I pondered this for so long, and this is what I came up with. Religion 
is when the foundation of your prayers and faith is based on what you need. If you ever find yourself at a point where, oh God, the only way I'll know that you're in my life is if this need is met, check the word of God again. Check the ministry in your heart. Because those are points, and I'm, I'm saying things that you probably are going to be like, how is this kid ever to, able to tell me this? Because I truly believe that unbelief is not something that we declare and say, Lord, I don't believe in you. Because unbelievers do that. I think the greatest issue with us believers is we know how to speak things so quickly, but when we see a need, then God becomes as big, as great as the need that we possess. That means if the need ever goes away, God ceases to be who he truly is. Can you imagine if, if all your needs went away? Would you still need prayer? If your answer is not yes, I'm glad you're here this evening. Would you still need faith? Would you still need to fast? Because Genesis 1 again says that Adam walked with God. Adam ministered to God. So if Adam was our perfect light of an example, and Adam had no need that wasn't even met before he was created, how was he fellowshipping with God? Adam didn't have a chance to say, God, I have a headache. Adam didn't have a chance to say, God, I have no money. And maybe... The greatest desire of the Father God to us is that moment to come and say, God, all I need to know today is more of you. I knew less yesterday. And maybe that's the greatest desire for our miracles in our lives to come alive. Is God, I knew you yesterday. But I've discovered that I need to know you more. Are we together in this? Because I pray that in your heart, What burns on the inside of us as believers should be communion with the Father. I know Paul calls it prayer without ceasing. And I should believe that doesn't mean that you spend the entire day locked up in a closet playing some YouTube music in the background on your knees, the head in between your feet, and just saying, Father. And then you, you pray all your prayers Remember in the gospel when Jesus is talking about prayer, he says the Pharisees pray. And they're probably the best prayers ever. He even gives an example of a Pharisee and a publican praying. And the Pharisee's prayer seems to be so long. And the publican's prayer is like, God, have mercy on me. I'm not even worthy to get to the temple. I'm going home. And then he says, whose prayer do you think God was listening to the most? The word have mercy means I need a substitute. I can't carry out this mission. I don't deserve this. And I know tonight, there's people who are going to be listening to a speech after the football game that will go something like this. If you work hard enough, you will get to this point. Every time I hear that phrase, I'm always wondering, how about the guy on the losing team? Did he not work hard enough? How about the guy who got out at the beginning of the season, who got injured? Did he not work hard enough? And then they add on this phrase, and if you don't give up. Is there anything that you've gotten in life that you deserve? Can you imagine how that applies to our faith life? God is saying there are some things I have freely given to you. that we are not walking into right now? What does salvation entail? What does sozo, healing, deliverance, restoration, provision, guidance? And maybe for most of us believers, the word salvation, all it, all it encompasses is I get to go to church on Sunday. And I get to sign on that card, say, are you, are you born again? Check. God, why is my life not so different from my neighbor who doesn't believe? I'm here to let you know, you're just living in the same unbelief. That's why there's no difference. 
Because what makes the difference between you and them is your desire for communion with the Father, number one. That's where the supply of your needs comes from. Believers are not people seeking to get their needs met. Believers are people knowing their needs are met in Christ. In other words, the day I encounter Christ in my life, I've become more than a conqueror. I've become an heir of Christ. I have become a son and daughter of Christ. I've been elevated. I was dead in sin. I've been quickened by the Spirit of God. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm feeling something in my body right now. It's because there's a work of Christ in us that is the foundation of how we commune with him. I'm not saying that God won't meet your needs. I'm not saying that don't ask God to meet your needs. But are your needs more important than you knowing his heart? Because if Mother Teresa is happy on the streets in Calcutta, feeding the homeless, you think she's believing God for a Lamborghini? Because a life of a believer, when people look at us from the outside, it should raise questions. How can you be so happy when? How can you be so joyful when? James counted all joy when diverse temptations, trials. Because it's in those moments that the gospel is most preached. Paul is writing to Timothy, same thing during the time of Nero. He says, these scriptures were meant to give you, to make you wise unto salvation. There's something that this word of God is supposed to do in you and I. That even in this time of such trial and and challenge, our lives have to grow. And I'm going to jump into here if you go to Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. I can't imagine Solomon so smart. And this this is the David Living translation. I see Solomon having read the entire Genesis, having read Exodus, having read the entire book of the law, and he reaches a point in his life where things are are a mess. And then the word of God begins to percolate in his system, and then he says, "Mm -mm, they trusted God. I'm going to trust God. They leaned on their understanding. I'm going to lean on the word of God. Here's what trust means in Hebrew. It says, to be secure, throw your cares on another without fear of repercussion. Fear nothing for yourself. And and the biggest one is the security of the righteous. And the word lean on your understanding, the phrase lean not on your own understanding comes from a, a Hebrew word where they say don't lean on the spear. When you lean on your own understanding, it's like you're trying to kill yourself. You're pretty much leaning on the end of the spear, but then acknowledging God's path is a character change. In other words, I've been leaning on a spear all my life, and now for something to change, I have to change the way I think. I can't depend on the spear now. All the securities that I've always had as a form of defense have to go away. Why? Because I'm learning how to trust. Remember Genesis 13, God is speaking to Abraham, telling him about how he's going to fulfill the entire earth with his seed. The gospel is being preached. The gospel is being sold in Abraham. And then you keep going on in the book of Exodus. It's like... God is promising a redemption to his people who don't see it yet. I'll use Hebrews to explain this. A lot of people read Hebrews 11.1, you know, faith is substance of things, for evidence of things not seen, and then they stop there. And so we go and claim it as, I can't see my house now, but I have a house now. I can't see my car right now, but I have it. You may be right, but how about I challenge you to go back to Hebrews 10.38. It says, we're not of they who draw back into perdition. Now, faith, except for those who 
things seen and the evidence of things not seen is, is 11.1. And then you go to Hebrews chapter 12. 12.1 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Put all that in the same package now. It tells you what faith is. Faith is looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, so that I don't draw back to perdition. If what I need is not in Christ Jesus, I don't understand salvation. I'll put it this way again. God is not going to make money fall on your account. God doesn't have some counterfeit money waiting in heaven. Going to be like, you know what? Ah, you need a bill paid. You know what God is going to do? God's going to walk through people next to you. Someone's going to get a conviction and do something in your life because of your obedience to God. God's not going to drop a car from heaven. I'm yet to see one of those miracles where a car just falls from the clouds. I think it would make the news. I think it would make CNN, I mean, it could, I think it could make Richard Dawkins scratch his head. How is that possible? But God is not in the business of impressing the world. God is in the business of elevating believers into the family of Christ, into being united with Christ like never before. And that's why in Exodus 13, 17, it says, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Had they seen all the miracles of God? Had they encountered men of God in their lives? Why is God more concerned about the status of their mind? Especially when they encounter hardship. Could I say that to believers that when we encounter hardship, is the status of our heart and mind still set on God? Or would God be saying to Christians today, I'm going to have to reroute you because there's some things that I wanted you to get to, but you're not ready for because you can't receive them with the condition of the mind you possess now. Or maybe let me put it this way. Did God ask Moses to send spies to the promised land? No. The spies to the promised land was Moses' idea. God says, go possess the land. And Moses says, I have an idea. Hey, let's send some 12 guys to to go spy the land because we want to take out some good corners so we can take the land. No wonder (laughs) 10 out of 12 come back saying, it is impossible. God made a promise to Abraham. Here's what I want us to understand at the end of this all, is God made a promise to Abraham, and all his descendants never knew what it was. And here is God desiring, standing on his promise, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to save you, I'm going to fill an entire earth. And the people have no idea but a broken spirit. Psalm 51.17 says, A broken and contrite heart, these, O God, will not despise. In other words, deliverance is when your circumstance changes. Deliverance is when your physical and geographical stuff changes. But in all of this, God is trying to teach them fidelity. I'm going to be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And that's why Hebrews 11.1 1 is important. The first line is faith comes. I mean, it's the evidence of things, the substance of things not seen. And then the list that goes right after that is the list of people that never saw Jesus or had an encounter with Jesus. They couldn't see the cross. Even when Jesus in the middle of the wilderness, he says the serpent was on the cross. 
And if them they looked at it, they were healed. And Jesus says, next one, I say, my word will heal you. My word will provide for you. They named him all of these things, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom. They encountered everything God gave, and they never encountered who God was even a moment in the wilderness. And that's why God calls it unbelief. So I'm here to define what true belief is. True belief is saying, I see Jesus, and that's enough for me. I don't mind what my life is going through. I don't mind what it looks like, but I see Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, God is committed to his word. And unbelief means to abandon God. If God couldn't leave the unbelievers in the wilderness, how much more do you think he wants to be with the believers? If God could dwell in a tent among unbelievers in the middle of a wilderness, how much more do you think he wants to live and dwell with you? Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 and 17, it says, And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul is talking to to Timothy at the toughest time in his ministry. Nero is just messing up the entire empire. He's killing Christians left and right. And Timothy is left in a position even where Paul could not get to him. So the only way for Paul to get to Timothy was through a letter. And then earlier on in the chapter, he reminds him, he's like, I see the faith that I saw in your grandmother. I see the faith that I saw in your mother. And now the very same scriptures that empowered them are here to empower you. In other words, he was saying, it's everything that I taught you wasn't that you could excel mentally. Everything that I showed you wasn't that you could grow beyond what your mind could handle. Everything I showed you was that if you cannot conceive what the word says, you cannot manifest what's in the word. The word of God in itself is conceived of things. And that's why God could say, let there be light, and light was. There's a message in the word for you. There's a message in the Father for you that if you cannot conceive it, you can't manifest it. I'll keep going here. In other words... Mary is sitting, and the angel of the Lord comes and says, how, how can this be? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Another element of a believer who is led by God is you are overshadowed by the presence of God. I'm overshadowed by his greatness. I'm overshadowed by who he is. That means that what I'm looking at is what Christ did so that I can have the life I have now. That means my perspective of the cross is I cannot take my eyes off the cross. I cannot take my eyes off the sun because everything that I'm going to have, everything that I have and everything that I've had comes from him. Amidst all my life, everything that I know, I am not perfected by tribulation. If if challenges were how we were perfected, I think India and Africa would be the most holy continents in the world. Ethiopia would be maybe number two in God's heart. But it's not the imperfections, it's not the tribulation, it's the word of God that perfects us. Instruction, correction. I can't imagine how it felt for David to be in a cave and Saul is on the other side and they say there's a sheep pen on the other side. 
And everybody around him is telling him, kill Saul so you can become king. And I can't, I mean, I put myself in that place and I look back, I see a ship pen. That's what I'm good at. That's what I used to do. That's what I'm gifted at. The anointing of my life is saying, I'm going, I am king, but it hasn't manifested yet. And in front of me is a guy who is sitting where I should be seated. And now you have these friends that are saying, don't move back, just kill him. And David says one more thing. is like, it's written, touch not the anointed. Do you think that just came out of nowhere? I can see David being with his father and hearing the Old Testament being recited. Hearing these books of the law being recited. And at that moment of the test that comes to him, something in his spirit says, nah, we don't, I'm not supposed to get to the place where I'm serving God the best by cutting corners. I'm not going to get to the place of my miracle by cutting corners. I'm not going to get to the place of my best ministry success to serve God by cutting corners to get there. He's in this place where he's like, ah, it's not just a scent that I'm looking for. It's fellowship with the Father that I'm looking for. It's not faith that overcomes fear. It's love. John 6.45 says, it is written in the prophets And they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Matthew 11, 28 through 30 says, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And I will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to break this down for a moment. And I'm going to read it from the the specific Greek translations. Come to me, all ye who labor, is like to, to, to walk with wearisome toil or grief, to be worn out or depleted. Heavy lighting means a Lord or a burden of rights and unwarranted precepts. So what Jesus is saying is, 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 is not that you can't move. It's you've been living your life under certain precepts that have been set by a Pharisee, a scribe, or anybody else in your life that you no longer see who Christ is. So he's saying, come, be a disciple. That word... Uh, that phrase for come to me is really... I think Jesus is saying, come be a disciple, and I will teach you how to differentiate between toil, grief, and depleted, and I will give you rest. Rest there is an agricultural word. I'm sorry for being so classy today. Rest is an agricultural word. In that time during the season, there was a time when you plant, and there's that period where you furrow the ground. You leave it to rest. It's not free from the work. It's just left for a moment, air circulation, and everything. In other words, God is saying, I want you to bring all of those limitations that you have had, that you've been working so hard at getting fixed. God, is it unbelief in me? God, am I not reading enough of your word? God, do I have enough faith? God, I need this mountain to move. God, I need this time to bring them all to me. And guess what's going to happen when it gets... To me. That's what the word rest means. It ceases to exist in the moment. And then when it says, take my yoke, that's another character word. If you, I don't think in America this happens that often. When they have oxen and they have yoked them together, It's not the yoke that's doing the work. Actually, the yoke is doing the least amount of work. It just doubles the amount of work that you do because now you have two oxen. So the one walking is still the oxen. The yoke helps you align. 
for greater results. And you know, for a long time, I always thought that Jesus was the guy on top of the oxen hitting them to move. For a long time, I always thought, wow, so God is actually using more people by yoking them together. And unto him meant he, he's the guy behind the oxen. Let's go, left, left. And, and as I was prepping this, it says, and I'll give you rest. And I kept asking myself, how can me walking like an oxen give me rest? Is God saying that I'm going to walk on his kind of temple speed? Is God the, if Jesus is the other oxen, then that makes it even worse for me. Is he equating me to himself now? Because I think for a lot of believers, that's the question in our lives is, who am I in this story? Is he the yoke or is he the other ox? What is going on in this whole scenario? But I think the very last line makes it easy. It says, my burden is light. My burden is light. All I'm asking you to do is to focus on the Father, and you get absorbed in the Father. What the yoke does is it aligns things in place. God is not saying that, hey, all you have got to do after I've yoked you with me, you see and do nothing and watch the Super Bowl. And I'll be walking outside. What God is saying is not the rest of inactivity, but the harmonious working of all the faculty of understanding, conscience, imagination, and the will of God in your life. The yoke is God aligning you to the word of God that's already in existence in your life. The yoke is God saying, you have been far out there, but now I'm going to realign, reposition you. Because you have the ability to do greater than that that's in you. In other words, being led by God is in essence discipleship. This is God saying, I want to take everything that worries about you so I can put more in you. I'm going to make it look like you did all the work. I'm going to make it look like you earned it. I'm going to make it look like, oh, wow, I'm so blessed. I don't know how to handle this on my own. I'm going to make it look like that you are able to do exceedingly above, over. I don't know which other word to, to use. Did you know that the word exceedingly over and above actually means using a bulldozer to lift a chair? I mean, that's the best way I could explain it. God is saying, I want to do what you think is your problem, which is this small in his eyes. I'm going to move it with a bulldozer. It's going to look like a little dot of a problem. In other words, being led by God is me saying, I desire to be a disciple. I desire fellowship with God. Everything God did and does in his plan of salvation. Therefore, that's a, a redefinition of rest. Rest is not laying around. Rest is me discovering who my father is. Rest is me discovering who the king of kings is. Rest is me discovering the greatness of God in my life through what time. I was at Eagle Mountain, and I remember there was a lady who had cancer. And the doctors had told her, it's, it's finished. Just, you have 30 days, and after that, you're going to die. And I remember she comes to the church, and she's stressed out. She's a pastor's wife, and she doesn't know how the ministry is going to move on. She's confused. And I remember just uh, one of the pastors there, Pearsons, tells him, you know what, lady? You are a pastor's wife. She said, Yes. You know the word of God. She said, yes, physician, go heal yourself. And I was in those moments of like, I thought you were going to pray. I thought you were going to call all the elders in the church and put it on Facebook and get everybody involved and just man, do a miracle healing service in the evening so this lady could be healed. And all you're going to tell her is, physician, heal yourself. And he started explaining to her how she was her own physician. 
And the lady seemed shocked. I was shocked. I wanted to pull her aside and be like, I'm going to pray for you. (laughs) But out of obedience to authority, I just stood right there and just kept listening like everything was okay. And I knew God was walking in me. Do I believe his word? Because if his word says it's medicine to my bones, then if a doctor can prescribe me Tylenol and say take two a day, I can prescribe the word twice a day. And that's what Gloria Copeland said. She said, how, do, how many times have you been reading the Bible? Double it. And if this persists, triple it. If this persists, quadruple it. If this persists, she kept going I'm like, and that's it. So they sent the lady home who had 30 days to leave. She goes home and on the 30th day, she comes back to the church. She had brought the entire ministry stuff. Uh, I mean, there was family involved and they come with this love offering. They're so excited. I could tell from miles away, something has changed. Someone has gotten closer to God than they were before, yet they thought they were so close with God. And then she says, the doctors two weeks prior had said that she was in remission. From stage four to remission, (laughs) and now she's a pastor in Texas, still alive to today is a testament that the word of God, that God wants us to fellowship with him more than anything. If my problems cease to exist, could I still have a prayer life? If my troubles cease to exist, would I still have faith? You know, there's some stories in the Bible that for a long time I misunderstood. You know the story of the woman and the judge? And that's how we've been taught about prayer. Is remember that judge? The woman went and went there 20 times and bugged him so much that the judge said, you can have it. And then someone tells you, that's how you should pray. You should bug God so much so and bombard heaven with your prayers and God will finally one day poof, answer you. I felt like the Spirit of God was saying, David, go back and read it again. Was I comparing myself to the judge? Or was there a contrast between me and the judge? If the judge has to make you wait that long, that's not how I do things. Faith is now. When you pray, actually Jesus says, before you pray, I know all your needs. So the answer is not the problem. If I knew you needed a car, (laughs) now, urgently, What's the problem that I have? I know that's a tricky question. But if I knew that Pastor Al needs a car and I have the car to give to him, what does Pastor Al need to do? I know that's a hard question. You have to think about it so much, because what you're thinking right now is what you truly think about God. If God truly has what you need and knows that you need it and he's ready to give it to you, what do you need to do to receive it? Fellowship. I begin to thank God for it. If I knew that I had a car to give to him, I wouldn't be saying, David, can I have a car? Pastor, I would be saying, thank you. I'm going to go get my driver's license because I can see my car. I'm going to let everybody know I can give them a ride to church now. Even when I'm going to tell them on foot. I remember there was a pastor in Nigeria. His name was Benson Idahosa. And he read the word of God and saw the scripture that you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall be healed and you shall raise the dead. And he got his Bible. He's like, no way. We shall raise the dead. And he got his Bible and walked the entire village looking for dead people. I don't know where the fear of embarrassment went. I don't know where the fear of if this doesn't happen went. Because I can't imagine how many believers walk everyday life and you see a person who needs to encounter the love of God and you turn left. 
Because in your heart you feel like, oh man, if it doesn't happen, I'm going to get embarrassed. How about you begin to think it's God on the line? How about you begin to think it's actually working in me? I was talking to a friend the other day. I told him, I mean, I've been asked several times, David, why do you feel so comfortable praying and casting things out? I say, it's because it's actually working on me than the person I'm praying for. Every single moment, I'm obedient to what God wants to do in the room. I'm more free to trust him more. Every time I hold back, I noticed if I postponed it for next week, I miss what God is trying to do in me. And then also that person misses what God wants to do in them. If God truly loves us all, and he desires us to be his move on the earth, or else he wouldn't have called Abraham, then you and I as believers have to truly believe that our fellowship with Christ, that purpose is supposed to birth things in our world through us and through the working of God. Again, I'm taking it back to the yoke. Being, being yoked with Christ means that it's going to look easier than it's ever, ever looked because it's no longer me working. It just looks like I'm the one working. I'll, I'll use that example. You see there's this power on here. There's, there's an electric company. Do you think for you to turn that switch on, you need to call the electric company? But I thought they were in charge of the electricity. They make you seem like you know all the laws of electricity, all the laws of physics, by telling you if you flip this thing up, the lights come on. And you definitely believe it. You walk in so much faith that when it's dark in this room, do you think God could be asking you of the same thing? That I've given you this word that every time you read it, you encounter it, whatever is dark, just flip the page and read what I'm guiding you to. And that will bring light in those areas that you least expect it. Maybe you've been battling with a sickness for so long that you've gotten to that place where you're always saying, well, God, it's been 20 years. God, it's been 30 years. And now you're at that place where you've actually hasn't just affected who you truly are in Christ. It has affected the way you think. Because now you begin to think there are some things that God won't touch because maybe he's teaching me a lesson. Like I said earlier, if God taught lessons that way, Africa would be the hub because lessons have been learned over there. And maybe this whole thing aligns up with, I'm going to use this other example as I close. The eagle and the lion, I love these two animals because to me they're not the tallest, they're not the strongest, they're not the fastest, they're not the biggest, but somehow they're respected in the jungle. And here's why I think that. When an eagle needs food, no matter how high it is, with its vision, everything looks like food. It comes down to get food. And I was watching a geographic show the other day, and there was fish in the water, not on the surface. And this eagle comes from wherever it was, lands in the water, picks up the fish, and goes right back. I was like, oh, that is so neat. I was like, what kind of vision is that? Like, is, is the eagle is thousands of, thousands of feet away, and it can see that there's a fish coming up in the water, and all I need to do is go grab it. There's a certain attitude that what I'm seeing down there is food to me. Maybe there's an attitude you need for your faith. I'll talk about a lion too here. If when a lion is hungry, and this I've seen with my two eyes, and the lion is hungry, whether it's an elephant walking by, whether it's uh, whatever it is, the lion is going for it. I wish I could show you a picture of a lion jumping for an elephant. The attitude of it is I'm hungry, and whatever is in front of me that's not a lion is food. The lion is not asking the creator, Father, I thank you for a meal today. Let me put it this way. 
When was the last time you stopped telling your problems about God? Because most of us believers, we spend the entire time telling God about our problems. I'll say that again. Why do we find it so easy to tell God about our problems and not tell our problems about our God? Maybe there's a natural unbelief. Maybe there's a natural unbelief in there that we have that when we see things, it's almost like God's going to get embarrassed if I do that. And God's like, I've given you my word. It's sharper than any double-edged sword to the dividing of bone and marrow. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Why are we, why are we so afraid to, to let him come out of us? And maybe, not even thinking along the lines of, do we hinder God when we tell him about our problems and not tell our problems about God? Mark 11, 24, speak to the mountain. Say to the mountain, be cast into, into the sea, and it will move. I'll finish with this story. I was... When I came to America, after like three weeks here, I went to the doctor's office for a checkup and they said that I was legally blind. So I started wearing glasses. So all through college, and they accredited to that I was reading too much, uh, late at night, and I would get up in the, in the morning, all through boarding school, you, you could read with flashlights, you could read with anything. So they said, yeah, your eyes have been stretched overly used over time, if you can put some music in the background, that now I no longer have the clarity. Everything is blurred. They call it stigmatism, and I, need, and I needed glasses to correct it. And I remember just accepting it. And part of me was like, maybe that's why I had the migraines I used to have, and I never realized why. And now here I am marinating fully overdosed by that that was going on there, that I've, I've become controlled by this thing. One time I'm leading worship in South Haven when I'd come here. I still had glasses then. And in the middle of worship, the glasses fall off my face and break. And you know how the lyrics are in the back and you should be able to read lyrics with the worship team and kind of flow along? For a moment, I couldn't see anything. I could see like blurs, lines. The light was blinding itself. And so I kept playing because I knew how to play without looking. But my eyes were not responding in the way that I thought they could respond. And, and then the thought started to prop into my spirit. Like, David, are you believing what you're singing? We were singing, there is power in the name of Jesus. They sang it this morning. To break every chain. I'm leading it. All sufficient sacrifice. So freely given. Such a price. And here I am. Trying to lead everybody else into that place. That I'm limited to fully experience. Because I don't have my glasses on. In my mind. And I remember there was a fire that started raging on the inside of me. And then I stopped playing. I stopped the music. And I was going to pick up my glasses. And I had the very same thought again, like, David, get this in your spirit. Like, it was like this conviction. Don't pick those glasses up. And, I mean, there was some disorder for the service that evening. I stopped playing the piano. Everybody's feeling so sorry. David's glasses are down. And another person is coming to help me play. And I just went to pick him up. I left them down. And I closed my eyes, and then I said, if there's anybody in this room that has a need, you need your eyes to open. Lift your hands up. And I lifted my own hands up, and I said, thank you, Jesus, for our sight. <laughs> so few people knew that I was praying for me. And when I put my hands down, 
I opened up and I could see all the words clearer than they had ever been before. And I remember going back and singing that song all over again. But that moment marked me forever. That you could walk all your life in fellowship with God and yet limiting what God can do in your life. Because you've never had a moment in your life where you looked at your mountain and says, my God, my God. If you don't mind, get up on your feet. I know most of us in this room right now, you have a need. You have something burning in your heart. God, I need this answer today. Like I said last week, the word of God is already at work in you. But I want you to take a moment, lift up those hands and begin to say, thank you, Father. Lift up both hands and say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for growing me in fellowship with you. Thank you for growing us in communion with you. That as we draw closer, as we get lost in you, as we find ourselves in you, God, We find our true selves. Introduce us to us that you see, Father. The us that's full of your glory, your power, the manifestation of your spirit. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening those eyes. I thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, that we get to gather in this room and say, Holy Holy are you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I thank you for what you're doing in this room right now and what you've done in our hearts and what you continue to do to draw us near to you, to draw us closer to you. Through your mighty name, Father God, I pray. Amen.